Blog Talk Radio. Hey, ATG Radio, yeah, uh, the greatest boxing podcast, woo, featuring the crew, you know how we do, yeah, Mike Dawson, Big Time Timmy, Rufus D, Hollywood, Coach Andre, and the Godfather Frank, yeah, that's the crew, so come and get in the loop, so tune in and see just how we do, it's every Monday and every Wednesday, ATG Radio. Yeah. ATG Radio. Now, I'm not trying to say we're the greatest. The most hated, maybe. Well, we might be the greatest. That's just because I don't know what else is out there. No competition. We got the best team in the world. Who you got? We got Tim Cudges, Big Time Timmy, Rufus Deathabow, Homicide Henry, Kid Thunder, Taylor May, GFL TV, Mr. B City, and it ain't pretty, Cornflake repping Vegas across the Jersey City, Mike Dawson, Louisiana getting gritty, Marine Sheen, Nate Campbell breathing boxing, Sean Rafa in Nigeria, get it popping. Ain't no stopping us, Frank stay a marvelous Haters sit and listen and they can't stop calling us 347-934-0137 And hit us up, yo ATG Radio, all the haters know Undefeated champions and I oh, will never go Talking boxing, wrestling and MMA Just keep your mouth shut and hear what I say ATG Radio we are the greatest show, rank numero uno, ATG Radio, ATG Radio, we are the greatest show, rank. <laughs> we are maybe the hated show, but we know what we might be the greatest show too. Welcome back, 4-16-2018, ATG Radio, back in the house for an exciting Monday, a little boxing, maybe a little wrestling, maybe a little BKB. Rufus, death about. Let us know about that. Is there going to be BKB? Yes, there ought to be. Uh, the editor-in-chief of the oldest American syndicate, the Polit- National Police Gazette, editor-in-chief Steve Westlake, is going to be dropping by to talk about the latest news and views in the world of bare-knuckle boxing and also clear up some uh, misinformation that's out there that they are involved in the recently legalized Wyoming um, bare-knuckle boxing event, which they say they are not a part of, and they're going to clear all that up. So a lot of things uh, coming down on that uh, end of the pipe. Can't wait to hear about it, man. Sounds like some very interesting stuff. Interesting man. Can't wait to have him on. Well, listen, we're going to talk about boxing with gloves on this time, just just to, to break everything out. <laughs> uh, had, had a, not a huge weekend, but a pretty decent weekend. We had some MMA also. You know, UFC had a good event. We'll talk about that later. Um, you know, we, 
the show I was talking about, well, the one show that we were all kind of laughing, or you guys, you and you and Rosie were laughing about it. I was mm-hmm. kind of chuckling too. Um, but you had for uh, you had uh, what's his name? Uh, I can't even remember his name. I'm gonna talk about the first one. Yeah, you know, the or the the one on ESPN uh, or uh, Fox Fox uh, Fox Sports One had Edner Cherry. Man, I wasn't impressed. Edner Cherry went up against Dennis Galarza. It was a decent show, Jamal James and Abel Ramos. But I'm going to tell you what, man. There was one fight that <laughs> it blew me away. Okay. You uh, you had a guy named um, Sebastian Fandora. Fandora's like a six foot six, 154-pounder. Freak of nature. He goes up against the you know, the hometown guy, Vishano, who's also undefeated, 9-0. and And it was a damn good fight. Very exciting fight. I don't know if you got a chance to watch that, Rufus. Um, you would no, know if you've I, seen it. Well, the thing with me was I hear tidbits over the line. I heard more about Edner than anything else, but I'll let you, you know, this break it down like for Nikolai everybody. This guy looks value of if he shrunk down to 154 pounds. I oh, mean, not, not with the caveman Andre the Giant-esque appearance, of course, but, I mean, he's a <laughs> six foot six, 154-pounder. And the ironic thing is he weighed in about three-quarters of a pound lighter than the 154-pound division. I mean, this guy wasn't even a real 154 pounder, you know, technically, and he's six foot six, and oh, Jesus. he he gave this dude a beating. I mean, it was a good fight. It was back and forth action. Vishon Owens, you know, is a decent fighter. He was a good amateur. Um, somebody, one of the matchmakers with you know PBC does not like Vishon Owens. That's that. <laughs> <laughs> you, you ever heard? And, and it's it's true with matchmakers if they don't like you. Even if you're their fighter, if you do something to piss them off, sometimes they'll throw you a little extra when they're matching mm-hmm. the fights. Even though no one knows how good this other guy is, they'll mm-hmm. put you in a little tough just to prove a point. And my friends, somebody proved a hell of a point against this guy. <laughs> this six poor foot guy six was at 154 ten. pounds. Jesus, five ten. He was five ten. 150. Well, he weighed in about 151, 152. But he was, he fights at 154. And he goes up against a guy that's six six, undefeated, <laughs> and 154 pounds in his hometown. <laughs> and, I, th- I think the largest person I've ever heard of in my life for that kind of weight class was a guy I went to school with, and he became a pretty successful amateur boxer by the name of Kyle Hall, and he was six foot eleven at 175 pounds. Yeah, now you want, to talk about, <laughs> you want to talk about, you know, crazy size disparity. That That's what it reminds me of when I heard you say 6'6 six, six at 154. I was like, Jesus Christ. And this guy is good. He's really good. Yeah, I, I think he's going to he, – you know, he was sloppy at times, but, man, how can he be 6'6 six, six fighting on – you know, he fought on the inside pretty well for being 6'6. Six, six. Um, but he had a good fighter in front of him. He did what he had to do. He knocked out the hometown guy in, I think, five rounds. And uh, look out for Sebastian Fundor. This, he's, he's managed by Samson Lekowitz, and you know that uh, Samson knows talent. I mean, this is the guy that brought us Manny Pacquiao, among others, you know, many other champions. So th- that was that was a really that was the plus for me watching the, you know the fights that night. Mm-hmm. Um, on the downside, you know, you had Jamal James, Abel Ramos, and I wasn't really. It was a tough fight. You know, I thought James clearly won the fight. Uh, Ramos is, was a decent, tough. 
you know, I wouldn't say journeyman tie, but I would say German because he's probably going to be down the road. But he he always puts up a hell of a fight. It was a majority decision, but I thought that Jamal James clearly won. Um, and then you had Edner Cherry, you know, uh, going mm-hmm. up against uh, Dennis Galarza. Uh, Dennis Galarza looked like he could have knocked him out early. He come on strong, you know, the first couple rounds, and then Galarza gassed tremendously. Edner Cherry got back into the fight and uh, won a very, very thin, very, very thin, you know, 10 running unanimous decision. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know how far these guys are going to go later on. Cherry's not getting any younger. Um, no. The biggest night for me, the guy was you know, Sebastian Fundora. Really, that was a night for me that night. <laughs> well, I, but, I heard about Edner, you know, and it kind of like, you know, like I said, it still blows my mind that some of these guys are still fighting because when I made my pro debut, Edner fought on the same show I made my debut on. I think Edner had like 20 fights at the time, was a hot commodity. And then you hear over the Twitter and everything else that these days he's working like full time at Walmart, you know, while being a fighter too. And I'm like, holy shit, how the mighty have fallen in ten years' time. Yeah, but he never won a belt. You know, he was very, very close. I thought he could have won a belt. You know, uh, a couple fights back, uh, who was he fighting? Um, oh, you know, what I'm talking about the undefeated, the undefeated dude that lost to Javante Davis. Um, Oh shit! Uh, I can't even remember his damn name. <laughs> Jose Pedraza, yeah. the sniper. You know yeah. that fight. He won that fight. There's no way in hell that Pedraza won that fight. You know, Cherry gave a very good effort, and I thought he won. Uh, wasn't a, a blatant robbery, but it was definitely a fight that it was unfair, in my opinion. And then he mm-hmm. rolls off, to, you know, two straight wins, and then comes against Galarza. And uh, you know, I don't, I don't really understand. You know, when you're that age. And you know you're trying to get a title, and you're working at Walmart. You know you don't fight once a year. You're not a champion. You're not Floyd Mayweather. You're Edner Cherry. You know I blame the promoter. I blame the matchmakers. You know this is bullshit. You know you you fight against. You know, you win a belt, but you don't win the belt. You you get a crappy decision for a title. You should be a champion, and then you you wait almost a year, probably eight months before you fight the next time. And then you wait 10 months before you fight the next time. And then you wait a fucking year after you fight the next time. You know, whose promoter is on this, you know, the guy's side? There's nobody. And then you fight on a PBC card? I mean, come on. He wasn't even the main event. He was the co-main event. And that blows my mind. These guys don't want to fight. I mean, these promoters don't want to help their guys. You know, that, that's what it comes down to. You're you're working at Walmart trying to serve, you, know, you know take care of your family. I think he has I think he has four or six kids. I can't remember how many, but you got a lot of kids, man. And you're trying to make a living as a fighter, and you got to work at Walmart, and your promoter doesn't help you. And you're with Al Heyman. Get the fuck out of here. That's crazy. Uh, the Heyman the Heyman hustle ain't working there. That's for sure. It's not working a lot of places, and I'm telling you, there's a lot of fighters that are trying to get out of their contracts. And I knew this was going to end up happening. I do respect Al Heyman as a promoter. He he done fine work with certain guys, but when you you remember when he first came through, he started hiring everybody and their brother. I mean, he was hired. I mean, he was you know getting passing contracts like Halloween candy, you know. And everybody was signed with Heyman. It was the end thing to do. And he he had so many guys. He over you know he overdid it. He signed way too many guys. He tried to get you know go real fast and hard, and 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 he didn't. You know, he had too many guys he didn't know what to do with. And that's what happens. You got guys that are working at fucking Walmart you know, trying to take care of their family, and they should be fighting on your cards. 
you know, there's no excuses for that, in my opinion. And I tell you what, if you're a major promoter and you've got a guy like Edner Cherry, you know, the smaller promoters out there, you know, like Warriors Boxing, and you know, there's many, many others. Uh, you know, main events. Uh, I mean, there's many guys. They wouldn't. I don't think they'd have their guy working at Walmart. They would have him on, you know, lesser shows maybe, but he'd be more active. I don't get that. Um, it, it's a shame. It's a real shame. And the thing is, I can't even believe the the, the commentators were allowed to mention the fact that he worked at Walmart because it made their whole organization look horrible. Well, you know. It could be worse. You could be like Jersey Joe Walcott being a full-time garbage man fighting for the heavyweight title. You know, I mean, it could be worse, but, I mean, it does look bad in this day and age, branding and images, everything. And that that ain't really good when you're like, this is one of our hot commodities. And he works full-time at Walmart. (laughs) And they announce it on the air. You know, I'm like, God, man, why are you making this guy out to be Jimmy Braddock? You know, why are you giving him a hard fucking time? (laughs) (laughs) But you know what? Congrats to him. I'm glad he won the fight. I mean, Galarz is a, you know, he's an up and coming guy. He's got a couple losses, but he'll he'll still have a a decent career. But he came on strong and he just, he did it to himself, you know. But Edner took over, he won the fight, and I'm glad for the guy. Uh, I hope he ends up getting the title shot. I don't think he'll end up winning that shot, just being 100% honest. But, you know, uh, props to him. You know, he, he he got back into the fight. He did what he had to do. He showed the hunger. But the, the clock is ticking. You know, 35 years old, he doesn't really have a, you know, uh, there's some options there, but he can't start taking a year off in between fights. And if it continues no. to happen, he'll be, he'll be next time he'll get knocked out. And I hate to see it happen. Cherry's a good guy, and uh, I hope he gets no, a raise I mean, at Walmart. I, I mean, a guy being 35 years old at lightweight, you know. Oh, he's a dinosaur already. Yeah, you know, you know, and it's kind of sad because I'm looking over his box rack right now, and I mean, he beat Haskell Rhodes 23 and one, Omar Douglas 17 and one, you know, uh, Luis Cruz 21 and three. I mean, he's still got juice left. And everything, but holy shit, you need to really make something happen for him. Yeah, when you're 35 years old and you're fighting once a year and you're working at Walmart, I mean, come on. You know, you're not training full time for the fight. You know, you might not be able to take a short notice fight. I mean, there's a lot of bad things that, you know, it just, you know, I, you I will say that me- all the time. I, I will say, meeting the guy, he's one of the nicest guys in the business. And I'll never forget, you know, watching the fights after my fight was over. And when he knocked the guy he was fighting out, man, it sounded like a fucking gunshot off the fucking Bell Auditorium. I thought the guy was dead. I was like, holy shit. That's a cherry bomb, baby. Yeah. Like, well, uh, I'll tell you what, we we got a big weekend of fights this weekend, or a uh, pretty decent. I mean, we got we got a big show, but, I mean, uh, you know, Saturday night, the 21st, you know, Showtime, Adrian Broner, Jesse Vargas, our our very good friend, you know, well, Jamal, the brother of a very good friend, Jamal. But Jamal Charlo versus Hugo Centeno and Gervonta Davis versus Jesus KR. You know, that's going to be uh, Saturday. I mean, it's coming up I, a lot quicker than I thought it would be. And then the 28th, man, holy crap. You want to talk about a fight fans, <laughs> a fight fans weekend, a pure Philly. boxing fans week. Oh, my Philly. God. You know, you got Jesse Magdaleno, Isaac, Isaac Dogbo, and I'm telling you, man, this guy Isaac Dogbo from Ghana is a beast. This dude, he can fight. 
And if Magdalena thinks he can go in easy against this guy, he's got another thing coming. I, I wouldn't be shocked if Dogbo wins. I'm not going to go ahead and say it, but I'm saying he's a very, very live dog in that fight, and I'm telling you, he, he could bring it. And then, you know, the fight that we've been clamoring for, Rufus, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. You know, it will basically crown the king of Philadelphia, the king oh, yeah. to the city, Mr. Rocky himself, Brian mm-hmm. Jennings versus our boy, Joey DeWaco. Oh, oh, yeah. yeah. You know, I love when they have these big, you know, um, matches, you know, for the cities pretty much, you know. It's kind of the shame that, like, Shannon Briggs and Mike Tyson never happened, the battle for Brownsville, you know. <laughs> you know, this is the battle for Philly. And, quite frankly, this is the make-it-or-break-it-do-or-die fight for both Joey DeWaco and Brian Jennings. It's now or never. And I'm going to say it right now. This is the dark horse candidate for the heavyweight fight of the year. Because I, I don't. Go I, 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 I'm going to say that because I think Joey's going to come out guns blazing. Might be knockout of the year, maybe. I don't think any any fight in the heavyweight division right now is is going to you know even up to Deontay Water versus Luis Ortiz. That was just insanity. Um, I don't think we're going to get a better heavyweight fight this year. Maybe unless Water and Joshua, but I don't think it's going to be the greatest fight if it does happen. But Walter and Ortiz, holy crap, that was that was amazing. That was a very good fight. Oh, it was. No, it, um, it, it'll but, be a hard one to live up to, but I'll tell you what, some of these fights you can't, like, sit down on. I, I, when I you're think fighting that, uh, for city. When you're fighting for the love of your city. That, well, that's that's the thing is it brings out a little bit more in you than usual. <laughs> there you go. I mean, I, I can give you that, but I don't know if they're going to you know, reach the, those expectations like Wilder and Ortiz did. But there's there's going to be a lot of hunger there. You know, there's going to be a lot of lot to fight for, and I can't wait. I'm I'm very amped for that weekend because you also have Jose Cito Lopez coming back against Miguel Cruz. You got Anthony Durrell going to murder Abi Han. Uh, that's a complete utter mismatch. I don't even care to watch that fight, uh, but I, I'll watch it anyway. But uh, and then you got. Danny Jacobs against Selecki, and then Jarrell, Big Baby Miller, Joan Duapaw. Joan Duapaw. Jarrell Miller. That is the one fight I'm really looking That is one fight I'm really looking for because that's the acid test as far as I'm concerned when it comes to Gerald Miller right there because fucking Duapaw has a head like granite. (laughs) We're going to see if he can actually – Really impress against a guy like Duapaw. Yeah, but the, the ironic thing is that Jarrell Miller, every time he's matched up against former Wilder opponents like mm-hmm. General Washington, he just he he had so much easier time with him. He dominated Washington. He did something you know that that Wilder failed to do. He he just beat a guy hands down so easy that schooled you know Deontay Wilder for five rounds. Mm-hmm. You know, so that that right there. You know, he could have an easy time with Duopaw. I mean, I don't think he will. Duopaw is a tough, tough dude, tough Frenchman. Um, he comes definitely comes to fight. Um, I want to see that fight. I don't know which one my, I want to see my, more. My money is on the my money is on the big frog, man. So there you, you think Duopaw is going to pull it off? I I, I think so. I, I've never been impressed with Gerald Miller. I mean, he, he's got all the punching power and the trash talking personality that you could ever want. And a guy, but I just, but I just don't think he's a complete guy. 
and that's going to show against a guy who can take punches and will throw back. Yeah. Well, we'll see. You know, we'll definitely see. You know, and there's a lot. You know, I, and we're going to take a break for boxing for a minute because there's a lot more to talk about. And we'll definitely get into it. What is this stuff about? Is it Andre the Giant they're talking about that's racist? Oh, there's always these talks, you know, with all these people. You know how they do, like, wrestling shoots all over YouTube? You know, some people have memories. You know, some people... Oh, God, I'm just... You know, it's it's some of these old uh, wrestlers, like Bad News Brown, you know, and people like that saying that Andre was racist. And I'm like, if that was the case, then why the hell did... Ernie Ladd, you know, and many other people, especially Rocky Johnson, who was The Rock's dad, always talk highly of him, have him inside their own homes, you know, and always said he was just a wonderful human being. Why is it that Bad News Brown is the only guy, you know, who goes on saying Andre the Giant was racist? It just makes no sense to me. Well, I mean, it's just ironic to me. Because uh, I'm not quite sure, but I do believe that uh, many, many, many people in France, the French you know, people have African-American in them, in their bloodline. A lot of them, oh, yeah. most of them do. And, it, you know, if you look at me, there's a possibility there. I'm not sure. I ain't looking at his family tree, but there is a lot of African-American, or, I mean, African people in France. I wouldn't say African-American, but there's a lot of African people in France. Well, you got, like, um, well, you got to understand, France for a long, long time had colonies in Guyana, um, Africa, you know, and everything. I mean, even if you go up into the Netherlands to this day, you'll see guys who are pardon my expression, blacker than the ace of spades with very white features, you know, um, who are in boxing or in the kickboxing and mixed martial arts. So, I mean, these people were well ahead of the curb before America was with the whole um, interracial marriages and everything else. So, I've seen a lot of pictures of Andre the Giant with people of every color. I mean, it, it, he, he was a good guy. I don't think you know. I think it just, it's disrespectful for a guy to be gone twenty plus years, and then you know he has a special on him. He has a little bit of attention on him, you know, that he deserved, you know, for being such an icon in the game. And then now people are going to call him racist. I think that's just that's you, he, talking about him, you know, having diarrhea, shitting all over, you know, bad news brown. Well, everybody just shit on his grave by saying this. This is pathetic, and I, it needs to stop. You know, this racist. I mean, come on, man. I mean, it, the, the it way I look at it before. Well, the way I look at it this way is, um, if everybody lived under the microscope of some people, do do you think you'd really come out unscathed? You know, and everybody has good good things about them and bad things about them. It, while it is true, Andre the Giant was the kind of guy he either didn't like you or he loved you. But if he didn't like you, yeah, your life was a living hell being around the guy. He would, you know, take advantage of you, you know, in performances, make you look completely like dog shit and everything else. But whether he was racist, I don't believe that in any way, shape, or form. If he, if there was any racial overtones, it could have been to the fact that he called Bad News Brown more or less like lazy or incompetent. And it could have been mistaken as being him calling him, you know, the N-word or whatever, you know, like a stereotype or whatever. But 
to, to me, it's old news. I got some news. It's some political news. And uh, com mm-hmm. is reporting that an ex-senator uh, from Puerto Rico, you know, uh, Hector Martinez Maldonado, was sentenced to four years in prison for accepting a high-priced boxing ticket or high-priced boxing tickets in exchange for legisla- legislation favorable for for a private company. The Justice Department announced the man who offered the bribe, Juan Bravo Fernandez, the former president of Ranger America, uh, one of the largest private security companies in Puerto Rico, will also serve two years in prison. And it says, according to prosecutors in 2005, Bravo Fernandez, 63, gave Martinez Maldonado, 49, and another guy, another Puerto Rican senator, actually, Jorge de Castro Font, all-expense-paid trip to Las Vegas to watch the fight between Hall of Famers Winky Wright and Felix Tito Trinidad, one of the most well-known boxers in Puerto Rico. So... You're going to serve four years in prison. If you're going to serve four years in prison for getting, you know, tickets and getting bribes, uh, you would really probably pick a better fight than that. <laughs> to be honest, I'm just, I mean, you know, uh, it wasn't horrible, but uh, would you really serve four years in prison for that fight? I mean, there's fights that I would serve four years in prison for, um, but not that one. <laughs> Uh, well, I got some news too that I'm surprised not that many boxing, you know, people covered it in a way. But to me, I have to call it like the biggest crime in boxing I know of that I've read about in recent years was this guy named Jack Lucius, who was like 62 or 64 years old, was given a boxing license to fight again after 32 years of not being in the ring. And he got blown away in one round. And I'm thinking to myself, isn't Texas supposed to be one of the stricter states in the United States? How the fuck could this have possibly ever happened? (laughs) I was working an all-women's amateur uh, uh, tournament down there in Houston. It's probably about a year, uh, almost two years ago. And I was down there, uh, I was doing the commentary. It was on TV, it was on one of these uh, Fox networks, but it was like one of the, anyway. But uh, I was doing the commentary with a couple people, and uh, a couple fighters I was next to, and there was a 62-year-old woman that they led as an amateur fight. And she oh, actually Jesus. put up a good fight, but, but it it happens. I mean, they let these people fight like that. You would think nowadays that you would have to go through every kind of battery test, every blood test. I mean, you probably wouldn't even allow it. I mean, you got to finally say, you know what, enough is enough. There's a certain age. But in this day, day yeah. and age, you, it doesn't matter. It, everybody you know, everybody should be allowed to fight. And, I mean, they get lawyers involved. I mean, come on. If you're 63, you don't fight. I, I can see it if it's within reason in a way. It, it reminds me of like, uh, God, maybe seven or eight years ago when ATG was first starting out, and we had Greg Haugen on the show. And it was funny as fuck because Andrew Hartley was like, uh, Mr. Haugen, you know, I'm a professional boxer. My record is <laughs> one in 18. <laughs> can you give me any advice? And he was like, What's your record again? And he was like one in eighteen. And he was like, "Is your manager fucking stupid?" 
<laughs> he said, you ought to retire right now. And Hartley called out fucking Greg Haugen, and Greg Haugen's like, I ain't fought in 20 years, but I would kick your ass. <laughs> I would say four, year in pri- four years in prison to see that fight. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Hartley but, tried hard to petition that, but Haugen's like, I'm not getting nothing out of that. Come on. Greg, and Greg Haugen looks, you know, he... He, I'm not. Be, I mean, I love Greg Hogan, but he hasn't aged very good. But I mean, the punches no. that he's taken in his career. But I think even right now, you know, him and Hartley, I'd probably lean seventy percent towards Hogan, thirty percent towards Hartley. Oh yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll take it a step further. I would bet the farm on Ken Buchanan beating Drew Hartley. Well, Ken Buchanan could probably game. Fight ninety-eight. Come on. Because I, because, I mean, every once in a great while, whenever Ken Buchanan goes broke, you know, he's like this, oh, I'm going to make a comeback on the unlicensed circuit. And they're like, no, Ken, don't do that. We'll give you money. <laughs> but just hit him in the balls and it'll be over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pull the, I didn't mean to make you joke, man. Jesus Christ. Oh, man. Oh, you know, 40, 50 years, or 40, what, how long has it been? 42 years, something like that, since the fight with with uh, Roberto Duran. And he's still mm-hmm. so butthurt, man. So butthurt. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I, I've watched that fight many times, you know. Uh, you got to understand, back then, fighters in Europe and Great Britain were not to the great pedigree of guys that they are now today. You know, it's like when Alan Minter, you know, fought uh, Marvin Hagler. You know, it goes to show you how weak kind of the title picture was at that time when the European guys were holding the belt. You know, nowadays it's like the reverse, but holy shit, you know, Ken Buchanan, he was a good guy. But when he finally faced somebody who was a legitimate, you know, lightweight like Duran was. Oh, yeah. Universe of disparity, but it was actually a good fight up until that happened. I mean, he was he was holding his own against a guy like Duran. So, you know, yeah. Buchanan's always been a warrior, but I, I respect him. Just like Steve Collins, I wouldn't mind seeing him knock a few back. You know, come back for a couple fights. He almost did. I know on ATG. <laughs> you remember on our show? On our show, I want Roy Jones. You know, and I was like, fuck. Well, I'll tell you what. We're gonna we're gonna switch it up. We're gonna talk about another thing that we talked about last week. I could have swore we did hear some news. I we should have done you know some bets. You know, put a poll out there. You know, who thought that we'd still not hear a fucking thing Monday on the 16th, and the fucking fight is on May 5th. Still nothing about Triple G, uh, his opponent coming up for the May 5th fight. You know, on HBO, not a peep. Crickets. Last I heard was Vonna's Motorosian, who does not. You know, I like Vonna's. I I I knew him in Houston when he was training in Houston for a long time. You know, he's a very very honorable guy, very decent individual, uh, just a good guy. But he does not deserve this fight. I'm sorry. I, I don't want the fight to happen. I probably won't see it if it does happen. But if it does happen, if it doesn't happen, who cares who it is now? I mean, you got to just fight somebody. And uh, still, no word about the upcoming opponent for Triple G. I'm starting to think this fight's going to be postponed or canceled. I think they should have canceled it the moment um, Spike O'Sullivan essentially uh, bailed out. There's just not enough time. There's not enough interest. Um, The 
prestige of the championship of the world has been so devalued that um, when you start bringing up Martyrosian as your challenger, no offense to him, you haven't fought in two years and all this other shit. Arguably a worse pick than Spike O'Sullivan. You know, it's time to like cancel it, wipe the slate clean, and just start going into negotiations with Billy Joe Saunders for something in the fall. I feel the same way. I mean, that that should be happening. You know, I mean, I wish Saunders, Saunders could have just came in and, and saved this pay per view. Kind of, it would have done good in the UK, definitely. Um, but he can't. He couldn't do it. He was injured. You know, I, I think definitely uh, Saunders wants to fight Triple G. I think Triple G really deep down wants to fight him. I hope the fight happens. I hope they concentrate on that fight after you know, the smoke clears from May 5th. If it doesn't happen, if it does happen, I, I still think they should start concentrating on Saunders and not and not Canelo. Because mm-hmm. to be honest with you, even by the fall, I don't know if this is going to be handled. I really don't. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a tragedy all the way around. Because it, it goes to show you how something that was so good can go so fucking wrong so fucking fast. And it's Murphy's Law. Anything that can go wrong will go wrong, and the worst is never over. <laughs> you know, that's the epitome of this. Well, speaking of middleweights, you know, we had a, a treat. You, know, If you guys were up Sunday morning or set your DVR for Sunday morning, you know, you were delighted to have our guy, Teddy Atlas, back on the air, baby. Back on, and he, he, he had some funny stuff to say. He was actually really good. You know, he said, you know what, have some boxing with your eggs this morning, and guess what? That's what we did. We had uh, a pretty decent, uh, you know, card of fights. Uh, one fight, actually. Uh, Emmanuel Blotterama. You know, lost eighth round TKO to Ryota Murata. Murata defended his a uh, you know WBA World Middleweight Championship, and he looked good. I don't know if you've seen it, Rufus, but uh, you know, not bad. I mean, the guy that he fought, you know, he I, he gets knocked out between six and eight rounds. That's what he does. He was on the back foot all night. It was a typical mm-hmm. you know mandatory defense, and you know he did what he had to do. He had a good crowd, and uh, you know he goes on the bigger things. Did you watch it? Um, no, I didn't, but considering you said Teddy's back, I mean, that's an event in and of itself. Yeah, he was, <laughs> they, yeah, they, they bring him back in Japan, and just because no one else wanted to wake up at <laughs> 5, 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, but you know what? He did a good job. It was it was good uh, stuff from Teddy, and uh, I, I hope he comes back. man. I mean, I, I've been hard on Teddy a lot, too, and I, I even said that they should remove him, but I was wrong. Because, man, when they removed Teddy, holy crap. I mean, their commentary just went destroying down the gutter, and he, he was good. You know, he had some uh, you know, very good insight. You know, he made a lot of sense. He didn't go ranting and raving, didn't go crazy. Maybe it was because he didn't have his coffee that morning yet with his eggs. You know, but <laughs> yeah, just uh, you know, it, it was good. It was good to hear him. It really was. You know, you, you heard the saying, you know, you're going to miss me when I'm gone. Well, you know what? I could talk crap all all day long, but. Yeah, we definitely missed Teddy when he was gone, and it was good to have him. Oh, back. yeah. I feel the same way when it comes to Larry Merchant on HBO. You know, I'm like, ever since Larry been gone, I'm like, fuck. <laughs> you know? Well, I'm not a huge fan. I mean, I was, but I wasn't. He was the ballsiest guy that HBO mm-hmm. had. He was the ballsiest guy in boxing when it comes to commentary. Um, but he, you know, sometimes I just thought he was, like, hammered drunk, too, so I really couldn't tell. Hey, hey. <laughs> 
You've got to have a guy like that on in boxing circles, though. It's like Burt Randolph Sugar, you know, being always around with like a cigar and a fucking glass of whiskey, you know. I'll tell you what, the biggest upset of the whole week was not televised. A lot of thought, a lot of people thought that it would be televised on ESPN too, uh, but it, since it wasn't a top-ranked fighter, of course, you know that wasn't going to happen. But you know, a major champion in Japan. You know, uh, Dago Higa, 15-0. I've been real high on this guy. He's 15-0, 15 knockouts. He went up against Christopher Rosales from Venezuela and uh, fought a tough fight. Rosales took over, became the first guy to beat him, snatched, snatched, straight snatched the WBC flyweight championship from Diago Higa. Christopher Rosales, new champion, 20, uh, 27-3, and, uh, you know, uh, he gets, suffers his first defeat in uh, in 16 fights, 15 and one. It was a it was a massive upset in Japan. I really wish that fight had been televised, but you know it, it's a shame. But at least we got Tay. <laughs> so there oh, you go. I, I love the Sunday fights, man. I, I wish there'd be like Sunday evening fights and stuff like that. Oh uh, yeah. It just but it's it's good stuff. It's good stuff, and they're trying to build Murata. You know, maybe a maybe to a, to a triple G type opponent. You know, uh, maybe hold it in Japan or hold it. You know, just fill an arena. I don't think the time is going to be on their side. Uh, triple G has enough on his plate right now, and I don't think he's going to be fighting much longer. To be honest with you, if, if he fights Saunders, I don't know if he's going to ever fight anymore because I I think Saunders could beat him. Uh, I, I don't see it in the cards for Murata, but you never know. Now, I seen a big write-up about the guy earlier today on Twitter and everything. And, you know, everything's all well and good. You know, you always have plans or hopes in the future for these guys. But as far as I'm concerned, Billy Joe Saunders is the final frontier for Triple G, you know, win, lose, or draw. I'd rather see that than see Canelo. We know who won that fight. You know, I mean, 98% of people thought – you know, Triple G won that fight. You know, well, that's the, that's the thing with me when they did the rematch, saying, "Oh, well, re- revenge or repeat." And I'm like, there is no revenge. <laughs> you know, with this, we all know who really won. You know, in this day and age, you can't fool people into buying into shit when it was already painfully obvious who really won that fight. You know, so. And if you look at all the exit polls, everybody's like, who would you rather see, you know, Canelo, you know, or Saunders? The overwhelming majority is Saunders. Well, I mean, from what Saunders did to Lemieux, and, and a lot of people could even say that he had an easier night, even though he didn't knock Lemieux out like Triple G did. You know, a lot of people thought that uh, it was easier than what Triple G had to do with it, because Triple G did take some punches. You know, I don't even know. I don't even, it really didn't even look like Saunders took one good shot from Lemieux. And uh, it, it's it's but both go, the comparisons of both fights were you know easy nights for both. And most people, probably I'd say eighty nine percent of people thought that uh, Lemieux was going to give him a hell of a fight. I thought Saunders was going to school him. What happened? But you know, some people thought he was. You know he could have, he was going to win. I mean he was uh, Saunders was you know a lot of people. It wouldn't shock me. I can't remember what the the book you know the books books were, but it wouldn't shock me if Saunders was an underdog in that fight. You know that's how many people thought Lemieux could win, and he just totally decimated him. You know it was just it was it was probably one of the most brutal. It would be interesting in a long time. 
it would be interesting to see a exit poll from the fans on who would win between Triple G and Saunders, really, and see how big of a momentum that he's got since Lemieux on that. Rufus, we're going to bring on so much. 607, do you know that area code? Hmm. Let's see. Not sure. 607, you're on ATG Radio. What's going hey, on? This is Steve Westlake of the Police Gazette. How are you doing? Good. Welcome to the show, sir. Why, thanks. You told me... Uh, the other day that you had some big announcements that you wanted to make live on the show um, concerning the world of BKB. Well, big announcements and, uh, you know, clearing up some uh, information that's out there as well. Uh, Because, you know, now that it's actually happening and there's been advertisement of of an event coming up on June 2nd, uh, so the advertising that's out there, you know, has uh, a couple of things that maybe need to be cleared up. So uh, if you got a minute, maybe we can do that. Absolutely, um, because I've been out of the loop from the BKB world for quite some time, and I would like you to clarify some things on the uh, American side of things anyway. So go ahead. Yeah, well, as you know, it's uh, been legalized by the state of Wyoming, and uh, which is the first time it's ever been legal uh, in this country. Um now, some of the advertising here, you see the big headlines, uh, first time state legalized in 130 years, that sort of thing. Well, that's wrong because it's never been legal. And you might ask, well, you know, if, if it's never been legal, then how was it being put on in the past? Mm-hmm. And the answer is the National Police Gazette. Uh, so what happened back in the day, uh, it actually basically started in 1881. I mean, if you, know, if you want to get into the history of it, uh, a guy named Richard K. Fox, uh, the publisher of the Police Gazette, a uh, big boxing fan, and was getting results, boxing results in his uh, magazine in the Police Gazette for you know a number of years, but it being illegal and uh, not very, you know, sort of publicly acceptable, uh, it was very difficult to organize. And I mean, even today with legal gloved boxing, I mean, it's still a mess. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's legal and it's still a mess. So imagine what it's like when it's illegal. And if you're familiar with, you know, bare knuckle boxing, I don't know if you're familiar with like the so oh, underground bare knuckle boxing in this country. I mean, that's you know, if somebody welches on a contract, what are you going to do? Sue them in, in civil court? You know, it doesn't happen. Yeah. So, um, so Richard K. Fox wanted to know who was the American champion, and there was big problems because uh, the guy who was claiming to be champion, Patty Ryan, was uh, being uh, chased by West Virginia authorities. For participating in a prize fight and then John L. Sullivan challenged him this is Sullivan's young like 22 years old at the time just up and coming he wants to challenge Patty Ryan but he's not going to put his uh, uh, produce his forfeit the amount of money that deposit required uh, to make the challenge uh, if Patty Ryan is like running from the police and it's a big mess and nobody knows if this thing's actually going to happen and uh, which sounds familiar today if you if you've been following the whole uh, uh, past couple of years, these these on again, off again BKP events that keep happening, uh, same thing. It's it's kind of you know illegal and not acceptable. So you have to rely on a bunch of people to to bring it off. And so Richard K. Fox goes in there and says, "Okay, I'm going to take over this sport. I don't care if it's illegal. You know, he's uh, he was getting rich and powerful by that time, and he could take the heat. Uh, so he decided to 
bring it all under the in-house, under the roof of the Police Gazette, that anybody who wanted to set up a championship match came to the Police Gazette offices to set it up, and he created championship belts to bestow to the winners. So he set up the uh, the fight between Patty Ryan and John L. Sullivan, uh, which came off in 1882, and that produced uh, John L. Sullivan won, of course, and he became the American champion at that point. Um, so Fox, and of course, again, it, this is BKB. This is under London prize ring rules, which uh, you know your pure London prize ring rules are bare knuckles. There's no gloves or coverings at all. Mm-hmm. And that, that's the way that Fox pre, uh, pre, preferred it because um, he considered that the highest form of boxing, that the bare knuckles, no coverings, no gloves, that was the highest form of boxing. Therefore, that's what it had to be if you were going to be a champion. You can do all the gloved boxing you want, but if you wanted to fight for the belt, it had to be bare knuckle. So that went on for a number of years, for about the next, uh, say, 12, 13 years. Uh mm-hmm. Fought for the championships. The big one in 1889 between John L. Sullivan and Jake Kilrain uh, was uh, uh, probably the most famous bare knuckle fight, at least in this country ever. Uh, John L. Sullivan wins again, and uh, he uh, captures the the world championship. So then a thing happened after that by the early 1890s. Now, because of what Sullivan and Richard K. Fox have been doing all these years, Boxing is starting to rise up in esteem by the general public as well as the authorities. They say, okay, well, we're going to start making this thing legal, but here's the catch. It has to be gloved. And at that point, uh, the handwriting was on the wall, and uh, if boxing was going to continue, uh, it had to be gloved. And Fox finally gave in and said, okay, you know, if you want to fight for the, the championship belts, then it'll be gloved from now on. So there's about a um, 12, 13-year period there from like 1881 to about 1894 thereabouts where he was uh, saying, no, the only way you win win these prize ring belts is if it's bare knuckle. Mm -hmm. So Fox and the Police Gazette were the sanctioning authority for bare knuckle boxing in this country. Uh, Really the only sanctioning authority uh, ever to have existed. So it was never legalized in the past by a state or any other uh, United any other government within the United States. Uh, the Police Gazette was the only one that made it official. So now fast forward to today. Finally, after all this time, and you probably have seen the, the medical evidence on uh, uh, mm-hmm. the bare knuckle versus glove boxing, as far as the Connecticut kinetic uh, energy being transferred to the brain and mm-hmm. the, this happening in football and all this other stuff. So now they're looking at that and saying, oh, yeah, maybe all this time actually bare knuckle was safer than gloved boxing, uh, a lot less brain damage and that sort of thing. So finally Wyoming agreed. Wyoming is the first state to actually legalize it, and now here we are. So uh, it's going to start up, obviously, in Wyoming. Others, other states should follow. But the question is, what is, what would you consider the lineal bare knuckle champion in America? If it's just basically starting today, then you know, is there a history to it, or is everything just starting from scratch today? And if you look at it you, and say that yes, there is a history of of professional sanctioned bare knuckle boxing championships, that it has to be through the Police Gazette belt. And uh, I could go through. Um, uh, let me just run down. There's four original weight classes, 
And the last boxer, and I'm sure you've heard of all these names, the last boxer to have won these championships in a bare-knuckle match. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, John L. Sullivan in heavyweight. Uh, the non-parel, Jack Dempsey, and middleweight. Uh, Jack McAuliffe, lightweight. And Ike Weir, featherweight. These were the last officially sanctioned bare-knuckle champions in America, uh, sanctioned by the Police Gazette. And so what we're doing now is we're bringing the belts back. So we're bringing these belts back and adding a couple. Um, And anybody who wants to fight for those certainly can. And if you fight for the the heavyweight, middleweight, lightweight, or featherweight, you'll be continuing uh, a lineal championship that uh, was – we haven't had any new fighters uh, claim those titles since the 1890s. So Mm -hmm. uh, so this is – Quite, quite a new thing, and it's going to be legal in Wyoming and other states to follow. So, so that's what we're doing with that. Now, now the question I got, since there's such a discrepancy because of um, the news, it made it think that the Police Gazette is involved in the Wyoming thing. But you told me, I think that you ain't precisely. So, what, where, what needs to be clarified there? Okay, you talking about the June second event, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, no, there's. We have no involvement whatsoever in that. Um, and the uh, you know the promoter was putting that on as Dave Feldman. And of course, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for people who've been following this, you know, Dave Feldman has been, you know, going back, you know, well years. But uh, a couple of years ago, there's a number of on again, off again events that never happened, and and that sort of thing. And of course, the police that being the police that we're going to cover it. We're going to cover it and mm-hmm. uh, be involved. Uh, you know, of course, we've authorized um, Scott Bird of the Bare Knuckle Boxing Hall of Fame in Belfast, New York, to uh, to issue the belts. So we're we're working in partnership with him to get these uh, belts, uh, uh, you know, to get fights sanctioned and these belts issued. Um, but that's that's the only person I'm working with uh, now. This June second event that's totally separate from uh, from anything we're doing. We're not partnering or associated with Dave Feldman in any way, shape, or form. And the closest you can sort of um, say to that is that one of the people, well, sort of uh, Dave's sort of star boxer, if you will, is Bobby Gunn. And so Dave is always trying to get Bobby Gunn to be participate in his events. And, of course, we're, you know, the Police Gazette and the Bare Knuckle Boxing Hall of Fame is very close to Bobby Gunn. Um, and uh, so that's, you know, the closest, basically, the closest association we have is is through that, and so I, ha- I have some news as well on the on the Bobby Gunn front as far as that goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is the other thing that you're seeing in the advertising. If you see the news news reports, it's been all over the place, and even in Newsweek and places like that, where you know, here's the people that are going to be on the card on June 2nd, and one of the names is Bobby Gunn. Bobby Gunn. These these reports are saying that Bobby Gunn will be on the card June 2nd. And as of today, uh, there has been no agreement, and there is, uh, as of today, no agreement for Bobby to participate uh, in that June 2nd event. Uh, as of today, he is not on the card for June 2nd. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, things, things could change, you know, who knows, but uh, there has not been an agreement, and there's not a, a, an agreement as, uh, as of today. Uh, so, you know, we'll see. But, um, but d- does not the National Police Gazette recognize uh, Mr. Gunn as the bare-knuckle champion of America, or is it the champion of the world? Because I think there's a lot of 
there's a lot of uh, misconceptions and misinformation that is out there. What, what is your status um, precisely when it comes to him? Right. He's the holder of the uh, Police Gazette World Champion Bare Knuckle Boxing Belt. Uh, and that's based on uh, – it started with his uh, match against uh, Stewart in 2011, mm-hmm. and uh, where he sort of, sort of – you know, and I, I guess that was a uh, an association with Bobby Gunn and Dave Feldman uh, were, uh, did that uh, event back then. Uh, fast forward a few years from there, uh, Scott Bird of the Bare Knuckle Boxing Hall of Fame looked at that and looked at Bobby's history and everything else and said, you know what, uh, you know, we're going to recognize you with a championship belt. Uh, and then uh, Scott and I got together, and I looked at it and said, yep, I mean, it, you know, I was going to say he's as good a choice as any, but this is, this is what I mean by that, is that you look at him and you say, yes, he's very qualified. He's very qualified to be a holder of a belt. Mm-hmm. But in a situation like this, with basically starting a sport from scratch, and what you have to do is get it moving, get something started. Mm-hmm. So you look at Bobby Gunn, and he's, you know, you, people can argue if he's the most qualified in the world, but he's very qualified. Give him the belt, get events going. It's, you have to win it and lose it in the ring. And once, uh, once that gets going, now things can happen. So it's like, who, who you know, uh, people shouldn't be upset that Bobby Gunn has the belt because all that has to happen is you challenge mm-hmm. him, you step into the ring, and if you're better, then you win it. That's how it works. So, well, I the know. Problem is, I'll go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead, sir. Well, I was gonna, I was gonna say the problem becomes now Bobby Gunn has this belt, and so it's like, well, okay, now we need an event, we need somebody to challenge him, an event to happen, and the belt to be defended, mm-hmm. which didn't happen, and didn't happen, and didn't happen, and didn't happen, and didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And there, there are various reasons for that, mainly uh, along the lines of the fact that it was still illegal, um, that you either had, had to bring it off underground or you had to find maybe an Indian reservation or whatever else. Um, and then there's also people who were being partnered with that made uh, promises that they couldn't keep. Uh, and then what happens there is Bobby being the face, you know, he's been in these news programs, he's been in magazines, he's the face of bare knuckle boxing. Mm-hmm. So when something goes when something goes wrong, they blame Bobby. They they look at the person they know. They see Bobby and they blame him if something goes wrong. When it was actually something else, it was somebody else who didn't fulfill a promise, or somebody else who was to, trying to screw around and not do things legitimately. And that sort of thing. And you know, I I know Bobby, and all I know all he wants to do is fight. So, and uh, you know, along those while we're on the subject, I'll just you know make another announcement. Seeing as, well, okay, let me let me just give you an example. Mm-hmm. Uh, take this June second thing, where there's news reports all over the place that Bobby Gunn is on the card. Now, there's no agreement. There has been no agreement. There is no agreement. And if they don't come to an agreement, and he doesn't show up June second. What happens again? Everybody says, oh, Bobby Gunn backed out because they've been saying he's going to be on the card. But he never had an agreement. He didn't have – he never said he would. So that's what happens is that people look at that and say, well, so-and-so said he was going to be on the card, but it was never going to happen anyway. But they look at that and say, well, oh, he backed out. But it, he didn't really back out. It was never going to happen in the first place. 
No, I, I'm uh, glad that you're you're explaining everything because I mean I follow so many different pages, so many different things. I mean even True West magazine, you know, that covers the Wild West, brought it up saying for the first time in 132 years there's going to be bare knuckle boxing and there is Mr. Gunn going to be competing, and I'm like, mm-hmm. we need to have this clarified. You know, because right. it's not really enough, you know, to have it written out, you know. You need to have a voice behind the words. So I'm glad that you, as the top man, so to speak, is, you know, squashing all this uh, misinformation. Right. So so that said, uh, Bobby still wants to fight. I mean, he's that's all he wants to do. All he wants to do is get back in the ring. You know, he's he's getting on in years. He's in his 40s. He says, mm-hmm. you know, maybe he's got a couple more fights in him or, or whatever, but it, it, he wants to do it. He wants to get it done. And um, so now that it's legal and it can be done on a much more up-and-up basis and a much more sort of normal standard type of way, um, anybody who's out there, you know, and tell your friends, that if anybody wants to make a legitimate challenge to Bobby with a with a legitimate contract with a reasonable amount of money and a reasonable percentage up front, you know, just what you would see standard in any normal professional boxing match, mm-hmm. they should contact uh, contact Scott Bird of the Bare Knuckle Boxing Hall of Fame, and that's that's all he's looking for. He just he desperately well, wants the, to get the in question I got. The question I got for you is, even though this is a new sport, in a sense it isn't, and in this day and age of social media and everything, you see so many fighters all the way around the world, who in your opinion, according to the Police Gazette, would round up being the top five or so in the world who should be fighting for this championship rather than this random challenge you know, that you're suggesting, you know, because it sounds like um, you're having a hard time getting these matches made, so you're kind of hoping um, to get them made without really having contenders set up, so to speak. Well, there are contenders set up, and uh, but the thing is that now that it's now that it's legal, you know, he, you know, we all want to get as many offers as possible and find out who's the best, who has the best offer, that sort of thing. Um, but there are, if you go to, um, I believe it's on the Bare Knuckle Boxing Hall of Fame website, but there's the list of, of top contenders that came out a couple of years ago, but nothing's moved since then because there have been no events. Um, but again, you know, as I say, all you have to do is get get something started. And once mm-hmm. it gets started, then the contenders, the list of contenders and the list of challengers moves. It becomes fluid, and everything you know works itself out the way it's supposed to in boxing, with it being won and lost in the ring. So yeah, that that's all I'm concerned with. It's just you know breaking the inertia and getting things moving. Now I know that um, there's other things going on behind the scenes. People are talking and negotiating, and all kinds of stuff could happen. It's just that we want to generate as much interest and as much. Uh, as many options as possible. So, mm-hmm. so that's what's going on there. It's just another way of now that it, now that it's legal. There's no reason not to do this. Um, you know, just people are kind of still in the mindset of like the underground illegal thing, and 
you know, either they're hesitant or waiting on the sidelines, or if they do get in it, they want to do it the same old-fashioned shady ways that it, that it had been done. Well, well um, no, I think it's no not way. only I think it's not only that problem as far as the bare knuckle world is concerned. You also have to factor in um, on the other side of the Atlantic, um, whatever bare knuckle boxing groups there are there. They used to have just one championship, and now that is completely fractured into three or four different groups. And some of these groups have staged fixed fights, fake fights. Um, And it's absolutely horrendous, um, the kind of manipulation and fraud going on. Um, I think one of the things that concerns me as far as the Wyoming event is concerned because if I'm not mistaken, I think Corey Wizkid Williams is involved. And from what I I know of him, he's partaken in a lot of fake fights himself um, as a professional glove boxer. Um, you know, I kind of worry about the legitimacy of everything when you have some of these, you know, either shady characters involved in it and everything else. So what what would you do to prevent that as far as the Gazette is concerned? Well, first of all, you've got the Wyoming Combat Sports Commission that is going to oversee everything. And um, second of all, and then you have to deal with promoters who have a good reputation, um, people who are, uh, you know, do things by the book and are squeaky clean and, and, you know, fulfill their promises and that sort of thing. And if you... You know, stick with good promoters and uh, have the oversight of the, the state commission, then that should go a long way to helping that. Of course, you know, as you know, with, with boxing, regular professional glove boxing over the years, it's, uh, <laughs> I mean, nobody's going to tell me now that there's n- no corruption and nothing shady going on in, in glove boxing today. Um, but, you know, you can do the best you can, and and that's how it would work, is that, you know, you just know by by looking at people, if you've been around them long enough and watch what they do, then you can see, okay, well, they're, they're up to something shady or, you know, they're, they're straight shooters and they're good. Um, but I think the, the Wyoming Commission, between the Wyoming Commission and, and us and, uh, you know, the Hall of Fame and everybody else, uh, you know, we'll keep an eye on things and make sure that, uh, that that's, um, you know, as, as above board as possible. Um, and and sometimes you can tell. I mean, you can tell if you watch a fight. You can, you can tell that there's something funny going on. Uh, you know. Um, and another thing I wanted to point out, uh, changing mm-hmm. the subject on slightly, is you mentioned the uh, uh, the promotions over in England and and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And and you know, one thing to also clear up is sort of the the name bare knuckle boxing itself. Mm-hmm. Um, because they, they fight with the hand the, wraps instead right, of actual exactly. therapists. Yes. Yeah, and back in the the Richard K. Fox days with the police gazette, 19th century, uh, absolutely nothing, nothing. You know, from from the waist up and out to the tips of the fingers, absolutely nothing on the body. Um, and you know that's the, your true bare knuckle boxing. Now the Wyoming rules have done that because uh, we would not support it if it was any kind of a different rule. But the rule states there's to be absolutely nothing, no tape, no coverings of any kind on the, within one inch of the knuckles. And wrist wraps are optional. So 
they allow it that you can actually get in the ring with absolutely nothing on your hands or wrists or arms. Uh, it's the option of the fighter to wrap their wrist going as far down the hand as one inch from the knuckles. And then everything after that is forbidden. So no coverings on the knuckles at all. So that's where we came in and said, yes, we can, uh, we can agree to this. We can support this and, uh, uh, you know, we can go with that. Uh, other promotions that call themselves bare knuckle boxing that allows wraps or tape on the knuckles or, you know, too far down the hand, then uh, that does not count as far as we're concerned. So really anything you see, like all the YouTube videos and everything that says mm-hmm. bare knuckle boxing, but you see the wraps on the, on the hands, on the knuckles, it's like, you know, as far as we're concerned, that doesn't count at all. It has to be completely bare. No, no. I agree with you 100% on that. Um, for me, like I said, this whole – I've been – you know, involved in this pretty much since the beginning, since it's had this big, massive resurgence, uh, maybe about five, six years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, it's very, there used to be a clearer picture at one point in time of who was the top five or so in the world. Um, but ever since, you know, like I said, the title overseas has been so fractured. The only person who still stands out with no real, um, what do you want to call it, no deviation from it really is Bobby. Bobby is the only person who still remains untarnished in all of it. Because I remember when James McCoy. Yeah, Bobby Gunn, yeah. He's the only one who is still intact with a strong claim. But these other guys like James McCory, who was fighting overseas, he does a tough man contest with uh, Joe Joyce's son. Davey Joyce gets knocked out in one round, you know, and then he wanted to still call himself the champion, you know. And I'm like, how the hell can you call yourself the champion when you lost, you know, and everything else? Um, And it's just so convoluted. I'm glad that there's an organization finally behind it that is reputable, such as the Police Gazette, trying to iron out everything in this business. Right, and it has been convoluted and has remained convoluted, and uh, people, especially over the last two years or so, there's been a lot of frustration because there's been a lot of promises made and a lot of, you know, false Well, I I think for me, the title picture, as far as Bobby Gunn is concerned, was solidified and not many people remember it, but I think it was like three or four years ago, you had the mighty Quinn James McDonough came overseas to Philadelphia, and Bobby Gunn went straight up to him and threw down like twenty or $50,000 in cash at his feet and said, let's do it right now. You know, after all the talking that there had been for years, and Quinn didn't want none, so therefore you might as well say, if you're going to go back to the olden days, if somebody said no, that was considered a forfeit, and you might as well consider it a win. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he he got that recognition then and there, if you want to look back at it historically, because whether it was Joe Goss, you know, or other people back in the olden times, if you said no, you could claim the championship back if they didn't right. give you a rematch or anything else. So really – 
you know, Gunn got the distinction right then and there when Quinn mm-hmm. McDonough said no. Well, that, that's another reason why the, the 1889 fight is so huge is because, and a lot of people don't know this because, uh, you know, uh, d- you hear about Sullivan and he was the champion and this and the other thing, but Richard K. Fox actually stripped Sullivan of the championship belt at one point for refusing to face Jake Kilrain. Uh, there is uh, rules for defending the belt the same way there, the, the boxing associations have rules today for defending their belts, and if you don't follow those rules, you get stripped. And so Jake Kellerin made a legitimate challenge that uh, John L. Sullivan dithered and you know didn't want any part of it at first. And uh, Fox stripped, the, took the belt away from him, and gave it to Kellerin. Uh, so now Kill, then Kellerin goes overseas and uh, beats Jim Smith, I believe it was, and then claims the world championship. So uh, then. Meanwhile, Sullivan is here just complaining about it. I think that's around the same time that his friends in Boston created the Boston belt for John L. Mm-hmm. Sullivan because, uh, you know, he was all upset that Fox took the belt away, and they said, well, don't worry about it, John. We'll give you our belt. Uh, but and then what happened is that it goaded him to get back into the ring, and in the ring he went in 1889. And this guy, you know, throughout his entire if – you're, if you're really familiar with John L. Sullivan's career – Oh, absolutely. Uh, he, spent, he spent a lot of time just you know, wasting time and dithering and doing exhibition matches and doing stage productions and sort of everything he could, could do to avoid actually having to defend his championship and uh, letting himself get out of shape, being drunk, fat, what have you. But when it came time to really perform, that guy could rise to the occasion like none other. And in 1889, he proved it yet again by getting in shape in the barns there in Belfast and then getting into the ring with Jay Kilrain finally in 1889 and teaching Kilrain a lesson and winning oh, back yeah. his, uh, his world championship belt. Uh, I, I love that you bring up the barns in Belfast because, after all, um, the National Police Gazette wasn't just a boxing organization. It was also wrestling, strongman competitions, anything you could really figure on. And William Muldoon, for many, many years, the man who trained Sullivan into shape, was the National Police Gazette wrestling champion of the world for a number of years. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned this a few weeks ago on our ATG uh, radio YouTube channel, that when people want to talk about mixed martial arts, you know, starting with Gene LaBelle, I said, that's a lie because the National Police Gazette was giving out belts and money and trophies to mixed um, rules champions back mm-hmm. in the um, turn of the 19th century. Right. And actually, as you know, um, boxing itself under London uh, prize-winning rules uh, had an element of wrestling in it. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, that's kind of going. that was going to be my next question, because you were talking about, you know, Richard Kyle Fox, you know, and the Police Gazette said London prize ring rules, you know, were the greatest rules. But I don't really see, you know, Mr. Gunn and other people really fighting um, in the way that they did where a round ended whenever somebody hit the ground or there being wrestling and all that. So the rules have been modified over the years. Yeah. The rules have been modified, and if you look at the the Wyoming rules, um, they they do have the three-minute rounds and that sort of thing. 
Um, but is it, people who have been working on this uh, have actually been trying to get them to either extend the length of the rounds or to do away, do away with the rounds altogether. Mm-hmm. Uh, you wouldn't have it'd be different from London prize ring rules where you you wouldn't have the th- you couldn't throw somebody to the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, there's uh, under the current rules, I believe they allow they do allow a good you know a good bit of stand up grappling. Like if the referee's not going to come in and break you up as soon as you grab hold of one another. Um, but uh, you know there's no throwing. But the one thing that um, you know is was being worked toward is you know with the goal of less brain injury, right? And one of them mm-hmm. is, of course is to get the gloves and the coverings off. Uh, the hands, so that's one thing, but the other thing is to either uh, greatly extend rounds or eliminate rounds altogether, because rounds, three-minute rounds, tend to give you the one-minute rest. You come back out and you start just wailing on each other again, like it's the beginning of the fight. Oh yeah, you're speeding everything up, you know, and you're yeah. causing there to be more kinetic energy and damage towards mm-hmm. everybody. Um, I know um, I've argued with people over the years over this, and they were like, well, so many people died in the bare-knuckle days. And I was like, well, if you really look at it, these there were no medical commissions back then to check whether people were healthy to fight or not. You had the wrestling thing involved, and a lot of these times these people were fighting on hard concrete floors or they were fighting on turf somewhere. And if people ever did get injured, it was because they were getting suplexed on top of their head or something like that, you know. Right. And then yeah. you also had um, fight to the finish rules where, you know, you would have these people pushing their men back in there when they were clearly unable to fight. And I said those really are the reasons why there ever was death in those times. Um, one of my favorite oh, fighters from the bare knuckle era was uh, Mike McCool, and Mike McCool killed three or four men doing wrestling maneuvers um, in those early bare knuckle matches. So you got to put everything into context as to why those things ever happened. Right, and one of the reasons why those things happened is uh, the that the referee was not uh, empowered at that time to stop a fight, and uh, another famous example is um, uh, Lily versus McCoy. I believe it was 1840s, and uh, where it's just going on and on. And uh, I believe uh, McCoy was the one who was killed. Lily keeps uh, pounding on uh, McCoy's nose and mouth and neck throughout the entire fight, and McCoy is getting more and more puffy, and more and more fluid is going down his throat, so that eventually everything closes up, and he basically suffocates to death. Uh, obviously, that's something that today a referee would have stopped that fight way earlier than than it actually ended. Oh, so yeah. you have you have those kind of protections today, and and so there's even less of a possibility of, of somebody dying in a bare knuckle fight today than uh, either a gloved fight or the old fashioned bare knuckle fights. But you know, it's like I I tell people too. I said when you put gloves on a man's hand, you're taking the human element out a bit of the equation. Because you can hit somebody as hard as you can all day long with a damn glove on, as opposed to with bare-knuckle fighting, you have to strategically place your shots just right. Because if not, you're going to break your knuckles, you're going to break your fingers, everything, and you're going to be right. completely useless. So, right. And 
and that was another reason why, uh, you know, at the Police Gazette, we prefer the preference is to have absolutely nothing on the hands or wrists of, of any sort because the more protection and support you give to to those areas, again, the, the more you're able to punch away at the other person um, because, uh, again, you know, the, even the wrist support allows you to to punch a lot more. You take that off, and there's an increased chance of breaking the wrist, breaking finger bones, what have you. And so you do. You have it's like it's much more of a chess game. You have to really pick your shots and know exactly what you're doing, if you don't want to end up uh, losing because you broke something. So. Oh, absolutely. Um, do you have anything else you would like to add um, to the conversation, sure, sure um, before we let you go um, for the evening? Well, the the goal is, as I say, we're going to be uh, the heavyweight uh, bare knuckle boxing championship belt is already uh, out, um, uh, which Bobby Gunn has, but we're uh, going to be creating others for um, the other weight classes, the four original weight classes I mentioned, plus we're adding uh, cruiser weight and bantam weight. So it'll be six weight classes. We want to keep things simple because, again, there's there's too many belts, there's too many divisions, there's all this going on. So we want to keep things simple. We'll do an American belt and a world belt in six different weight classes, and that's it. Keep it simple. Um, and what we'd like to do is fill all of those, have Bobby defend his, and have the rest of them filled before November 30th of this year. That's the goal. Oh, wow. And, and this is open to anybody in the world, essentially, to sign up for this, right? Yes, it's open to anybody in the world. Of course, it has to be gone through the uh, you know the usual channels. Um, the, whatever promoter is putting on an event in Wyoming or whatever state happens to legalize next. And I think since Wyoming just legalized, there have been a number of states on the fence, and they'll probably go pretty soon. Uh, so obviously, you would you would get yourself hooked up to one of these events. And um, and as I say, all all that has to happen is for this thing to start moving, for the for the inertia to get broken, and once it starts moving, then everything will sort itself out, and the cream will rise to the top. Well, I'll tell you what, this gives me a lot of enthusiasm, gets me so excited because I remember when Art Davy created the Ultimate Fighting Championships, and this is kind of like how it's we're seeing history kind of repeat itself in a way with um, this new mm-hmm. venture and. Uh, I want to say thank you for coming on the show. Um, we'd love to have you again anytime, as well as the recognized champion of the National Police Gazette, Mr. Gunn. Um, thank you very much for joining us, sir. Okay, thanks a lot, Rufus. All right, thank you very much. Yep, bye-bye. Michael Doss. I felt felt so bad for Doss that I, you know, um, this isn't this isn't Michael Doss's world or anything else. But hey, Doss, maybe you and me can fight for like the middleweight championship of the world or something like that. Yeah, and everybody. No, my fighting days are long behind me, man. Yeah. But uh, but now we uh, I'm looking at some uh, Twitter, a lot of Twitter love. You know, some Twitter. Uh, you know, <laughs> it was kind of back and forth. That yeah. boxing at that boxing ATG Radio. Mike Doss, please step in and save us from this agony. <laughs> no, hey, some people, you know, agony. some people, you know, some people, you know, it isn't everybody's cup of tea, you know. And whenever something new starts, you know, people look at it clearly as a novelty, you know. And if you look at like the UFC when it first started, 
you had a lot of guys who probably shouldn't have been there, you know, because it was kind of like all wide open, just like this is now. Oh. And it took and it took about a decade before really the top tier guys were all competing in it. So it's going to take time. There's going to be the Tank Abbots and you know the Art Jimmersons and other people in these initial stages. So it's going to be a novelty for a while. Tank Abbott could throw some hands. Man. He was actually pretty oh. talented. Oh yeah, you know <laughs> he was. was you know. But but you know what I mean though. Oh yeah. Yeah, but what gets me though? I mean, and I love Bobby. Bobby's a big friend of the show. But mm-hmm. I mean, I'm kind of with the the people that think, you know what? I don't care what he did before. Yeah, this is a new thing. You need to have vacant belts and let the guys fight for the belt. You should not establish a guy just because of his history. If this is something new in the state, you know, in the state of Wyoming, you know, you need to let it happen. I mean, this is something that's, you know, a, a belt that's been, you know, a hundreds and I mean, shit, since the eighteen hundreds. You know, no one's held these belts, right? I mean, what's the mm-hmm. last belt? Last time someone's held a belt like that? Yeah, but pretty much the last sanctioned uh, world lineal championship, you know, was Sullivan, you know, and Kilrain in 1889. Exactly. Um, and but then again, you know, you got to figure Bobby did kind of beat everybody to the punch in a way by competing in a quasi legal event in Arizona on the Indian reservation, thus claiming the title. But at the same time. It's been nearly 10 years since that, and it's finally just got legalized in one state. Right. So it needs so, to I mean, be kind yeah, of opened up. Yeah, but you, you, you competed something 10 years ago, and then you get handed a belt. I mean, I, I think you should fight. You just should deserve it. You should you know, go, go out there and earn the belt. And that's what I, you know, these other belts are going to be earned. I think that they should do the same. They shouldn't do it just because Bobby Gunn's name, in my opinion. Well, um, it's and never, never really he wouldn't good. want it anyway. It's it's not really good to ever brand, make a brand surrounding around one guy, you know, um, because that usually ne- almost always never works. But if somebody was to ask me, you know, is he the top guy in the world? I would say on paper he is because of his professional and amateur credentials as a glove boxer. Because when we used to have like a really good relationship, me and Bobby, we would always say, you know, whether it's gloves or no gloves, boxing is still boxing, and the man with the most pedigree and skill is going to win. Right. Well, you know, I'm going to so, tell you what. We, we had gloves off. First we had gloves on, then gloves off. Now we're putting gloves back on. Andre Rozier, my man, what's going on? We're talking some glove boxing now, baby. <laughs> oh my goodness! What's up, fellas? How's everybody feeling tonight? Doing great, man. We uh, had Rufus had somebody on with the Police Gazette, um, in, in Wyoming talking about you know uh, bare knuckle fighting and good stuff like that. But not my cup of tea. But Rufus had a good time, and you know what? It was good listening to it. But now we uh, got the gloves back on. Andre, what's good with you? What's going on? Any, any news? Any 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 big? You know, before the big fight coming up on the 28th. Oh, man, Captain. Plenty of shenanigans in boxing. I'm going to call boxing the shenanigans sport from now on. Let me tell you. First and foremost, I hear that uh, Vonis Matarosian is um, or received a contract 
yeah, yeah. Uh, to fight Triple G, but he hadn't signed it yet because they haven't concluded that issue as of yet. And, yeah, that um, show me the money. That's what it means. Exactly. And uh, we had put pressure on the IBF to decide one way or the other if they're not going to let Sergey fight a Triple G, then strip him of the belt, and we'll fight for it then and there. But I um, they're gonna do that, man. I, you know, I think there's a lot of pressure being applied by uh, there should be some of, exactly by some of the legalities that which and uh, Sergey's uh, manager, who happens to be my little brother from another mother, Keith Conley. He uh, has the resources and the wherewithal to obtain the proper legal um, entities to cause the IVF to blink not more than once, but about five times. So (laughs) the pressure is there. We want to see something happen. This log jam of confusion that was caused by Canelo, and once again, I'm not blaming Triple G. I'm not. But this logjam that Canelo created with with his um, with his um, hamburger uh, eating, yeah, well, yeah, with his tainted meat. Uh, <laughs> that's why I'm a vegetarian, Captain. That's why I'm a vegetarian. <laughs> Quit doing, it, man. Keeps on doing. I've that. never heard. I've never heard of a carrot on steroids. But anyway, <laughs> damn. It, 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 we, we want to <laughs> we want to find some closure and uh, bring it to the surface because we need to. Did you guys see that that uh, that, that that meme on Twitter talking about uh, Carrot Top? They <laughs> showed Carrot Top and it said it was talking about Canelo. Did you see that? Oh, was... <laughs> <laughs> that was beautiful. Oh my god. <laughs> And well stated. <laughs> <laughs> well you know what stated. really gets me? Well, what gets me is you know you, you have talk about you know from Triple G's people saying that you know Darren Chinko's they want to build it up a little bit. They're quite not ready for that fight. I mean, you're preparing. You're preparing for one of the top fighters in the world, in Canelo, and you're telling me that you're not ready for a guy like Darren Chinko. I mean, come on, Darren Chinko is the mandatory for one. How how prepared do you have to get? You know, you're preparing for, you know, Canelo. you got to be in the best shape of your life. You know, being in the best shape of your life, there's no way you're not. I mean, I don't get that. That To me, that's a blatant, you know, just duck. It, it's, it's getting real. It's, you know, and the funniest thing is, and Captain, you know, we talk all the time. I'm not one to profess. I'm either going to give you some information or if I don't have information, I say I don't. But they they've been professing for and Abel has been yip yapping so hard about this that, and the other thing. But now the shoe is on the other foot. Yeah, exactly. No one wants to fight us. Yeah, we're avoided. This that you know. Uh, and now they had a guy straight up say, "I want to fight." Just promoter said, "I want I want to fight. Let's make it happen." You know, I know Derenchenko, you know, would have signed that contract. I'm not saying that that Sergey would win that fight, even though you know I got mad respect for you, uh, Coach. But I'm not saying that. But I'm right. saying that he would put up a hell of a fight. I don't think you know who would win that fight because Triple G is a bad mumbo jumbo, you know. But Derenchenko oh, yeah. is too. 
But that's the he kind of fight the fight fans want to see. Why not make it happen? Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, and we would we would come ready. I I have a lot of respect for Triple G, and unfortunately, I think he's being scuttlebutted on this because he ha- he has to say certain things that I believe other people are making him say or telling him to say, and um, it's just it's just bad. It's really bad. Well, if something does happen, I mean, we talked last week, and you said that you don't even know if right now if they'd take the fight being so soon. Do you think that's a possibility, that they're just waiting, and then maybe here next week they might say, oh, you got the fight? I don't think so. I'm going, once again, I'm going with the guru of boxing, my man Rufus. He said <laughs> it ain't going down. It ain't going down. Ah. <laughs> uh. My gypsy heritage makes me very psychic. If Marjorie has a contract, though, I'm telling you, he'll, he'll sign that contract. He'll sign mm-hmm. it. Yeah, but that, it still has to be, once again, even at that point, the commission still has to approve it. And, yeah, I don't uh, see that happening. It, it, it's, just, it's just a lot to it, Big Mike, that it's just a lot of innuendos and sidetracks and, and different secret passageways going on with this, which is really bad for boxing. Uh, oh, starting with, once again, uh, Canelo. No, all, all roads lead to Canelo on this. Oh. You know? and, I, and some people are trying to make, you know, Triple G look bad about that. I mean, to be honest with you, if if Triple G is the one that pulled out and this happened to Triple G, everybody would be hating. I mean, they would be bashing Triple G worse than Canelo. Worse. Oh, worse. Followers. They would have you destroyed know, him. And if Canelo didn't have a fight by now, people would probably be like, you know, a lot of people would be like, oh, you know, it, it's hard when you're a guy like Canelo to get a good fight. And, you know, we'll take whatever. But if he ended up fighting a guy like, you know, Vonis, they'd bash him too, in my opinion. You know, Vonis is not a good fight for either guy. Um, yeah, I'm not saying he's a bad fighter, but, man, he hasn't fought in two years. He's come off a loss. There's no win to that, in my opinion. There's no right. And then the the downside of it is, um, it, if the fight was to actually take place, which I once again feel it won't, um, what's to say? I mean, okay, if Triple G beats Vonis, what's that mean? It means nothing. It means it does. nothing. I mean, there's nothing. There's nothing there. <laughs> you know, you beat a guy that Laura, you know, schooled. I mean, what what's the win to that? You know, just like we talked last week about Tyson Fury, you know, uh, the, the, uh, Gary Cornish. You know, there's no wind. You know, you're, you're going to fight a guy after your comeback. You've been off a couple of years. You're going to fight a guy that got knocked out in one round by Anthony Joshua. There's nothing to prove there. There's no reason to fight that guy. You know, right. there's no reason to fight a guy like Vonis. He, he lost to, I mean, he, he lost to Laura convincingly. You know, he, he, he gave a good fight, I think, to Charlo. But, I mean, he's not proven that he's on that level. And, uh, you know, it, it's just a tune-up fight. I mean, I, I, I'm not, I don't even really want to see it. I don't even – and I'm a huge fan. I'm a boxing fan. I, if you've got gloves on, I don't care if you've got, you know, cats that are fighting, on, you know, on TV. I'll watch it. Anything that has gloves on that's fighting, I will watch it. I don't give a shit what it is. You know, but I don't want to see this. And, and, and the other thing – the other thing, excuse me for interrupting, Big Mike. The other no. thing is the the time factor. You can't. There's no way you promote a fight 
in two weeks. There's no way. The 21st will make two weeks until May 5th. Absolutely. This whole scenario is just crazy. You know, crazy as hell. And uh, uh, HBO should step up and say, you know what, guys, you know, this is going to be a damn dumpster fire. I don't want this shit. They need to see right. Peter Nelson needs to grow a pair of balls and cancel this shit. And cancel it, exactly. Yeah. It doesn't make it, it makes no sense. Who do, who does who does what's going on? This every day this becomes more and more like a, a fight at the 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 um secret order of the raccoon's lodge. But I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you right now, and people might bash me for saying this, but if Eddie Hearn was promoting this fight, there would have been a damn, you know, another fight happening that probably the next day. The next That's damn right. day. Because you got to remember, right. Anthony Joshua was supposed to fight Kubrat Pulev. Pulev pulls out, Takam goes in. A lot of people, you know, give Takam a lot of shit for being a shitty replacement. Well, at least he's a damn replacement. And then he ended up giving exactly. you know, Joshua a good fight. It was actually a good fight. People were happy with the outcome, but they were happy with the you know with the fight itself because it wasn't you know one way action. It was a good two way fight. I agree. You, I agree. You have to have another horse in the damn stable every damn time when you're when you're promoting a mega fight like this. You still need to have a plan B. Oscar De La Hoya didn't have shit for a plan B. You know, uh, you know, Loeffler didn't have shit for a plan B. None of these guys had anything. And it's just amazing no. to me that they think that since the fight's on a higher level that they don't need a plan B. You always need a plan B. I don't care what kind of fight you're talking about. You need a, a uh-huh. second. You need a, a, You need something. You need number two. You definitely need somebody else. And, and that's one thing about Eddie Hearn. Every every big fight that Eddie Hearn makes, he always has a, a plan B. He has a second fighter that's ready to take, you know, take the guy on, get in the ring. You know, that and day that it happens. And they had time to – they had more than sufficient time from the beginning of this fiasco to have a replacement. But they well, one problem it is to, they, they should have, in my opinion, to be honest with you, you know, the promoter, I blame the promoter for this. Not You know, De La Hoya to an extent. I mean, they waited a while, then they pulled out. But you know what? Triple G's people should say, you know what? If this guy is going to fail a test, and now he's being, you know, looked at by the commission. You know, we need to go ahead and just cancel it and have a plan B and announce it. But you know what? Everybody was seeing dollar signs. Everybody wanted the fight to happen, you know, when it comes to the team. You know, every team, all the guys, you know, they were seeing the money. They wanted the fight to happen. They were latching on to it. They were hoping it was going to happen. And you didn't see Triple G pull out. Canelo pulled out. No, no not at all. And not they didn't have no plan B at all. And that's that's just amazing to me in this day and age, in this game, that you don't have a plan B. You know, even the UFC has a bunch of plan Bs. I mean, you know how many major you know, fights that went? Look at last week, a couple weeks ago. You know, with, when Conor McGregor throws a damn you know dolly into a bus and shatters all the glass and hurts all these people, three fights get canceled. But guess what? They still have a show. They mm-hmm. still have a show because they they they, they were. Prepared. You know what? I'm going to tell you why this. I'm going to tell you something. They all thought that this was going to be cleared up. It was going to be swept under the, the rug, and the two of them were still going to fight. And that's what the real problem is. They yeah. thought that it was going to take place and continue 
with all that was going on and a slap on the wrist, and uh, Canelo would still fight Triple G. That's why they had no second plan. And I'm going to tell you what. I mean, if you eat a bad, bad hamburger and you know you ate a bad hamburger, I mean, come on. Yeah, if you know it's tainted meat, you, know, you should have pulled out the damn fight. He should handle this with the commission. He should still be training. You know, I, I'm sure that the commission would have let it happen. But you know what? They could have ended up moving the fight too. They could something. Things could have been done about this, not the way that you know it happened. You know, he should have never pulled out of that damn fight. And that makes Canelo right. look guilty, in my opinion. Guilty as you know what. And there's a lot of trainers out there that think he's guilty. I mean, you know, Ronnie Shields right now, you know, uh, had a, had something posted on BoxingScene.com, you know, saying that uh, he 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 knows that uh, that he's that he's uh, he's dirty. He can tell. Mm. And I think there's a lot of trainers out there that are the same way. And I've been knowing Ronnie for a long time, and I mean, I definitely, uh, you know, I, I can understand what he's talking about. And uh, but he he's saying he said just look at him. You can you can see that he's dirty on drugs. And you know, oh. all the fans go to BostonScene.com. Check that uh, that interview out. You know, Ronnie Shields is usually a pretty you know, uh, you know laid back dude. He don't really go out and talk shit about fighters. But him oh, saying doesn't. that is amazing to me. But you know what? Oh. He's saying what a lot of trainers are thinking. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And and when you pull out of a fight like that, you're making yourself look even worse. <laughs> I mean that, that's like that's like a guy that's like I said before you know, a guy that gets uh like uh they're saying you're you murdered somebody you know he's just you know, okay okay yeah well I'll just I'll just have my day in court or whatever I, I'm gonna put, go ahead and just do my time and you know what if I was being you know uh, uh, saying if I was being if they had if they were accusing me of, of a murder or some crime okay I'm gonna be you know Screaming my ass off, saying, "Hey, I want this. I want. I want to be. I want my day in court right now. I want to let everybody know I am innocent. You know, I'll, I'll tell everybody. I'll be screaming exactly. at everybody how innocent I am. You didn't really yeah. hear a lot from him, and then he just pulls out the fight. I mean, man, actions speak a lot louder. There's a lot louder than words. They certainly do. And, He's speaking. Now, his actions speak of a guilty man. I'm gonna tell you what, man. I'm gonna tell you what. They. I hope. That uh, you know, Triple G's trying to get paid. He ain't gonna be get paid even close to what he was gonna get paid. And you gotta feel bad for him. I do because you know he's I older. Do he don't have a lot. You know, there ain't many wars in that tank anymore. There's not. There's not a lot Thank of fuel you. in the tank for you know for a Triple G. There's not a lot of paydays out there. You know, he's not gonna make. He'll make some. He'll make some good money against Saunders, but he'd probably have to go to the UK to do it. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, this is a, a big payday that he probably needed. And and now he's gonna he still wants to fight he's still showing that warrior spirit um, you, you got to feel bad for the guy I really do I, I, once again the powers that be that are, are behind him uh, are asking him to say things uh, contrary to what he actually is but I feel bad for him because he he's not the one that's in the wrong in this situation but he's being right. penalized. Through the actions of another, and that's yeah. even worse. Well, somebody that I, I I feel bad for now too. I guess <laughs> there's some news going out this week or last week um, that a certain you know former superstar, maybe current superstar. Um, I think he's kind of on kind of on the downside now, but still a, a legend in his own right. Manny Pacquiao has 
for what would they say? He made a decision. He he has fired Freddie Roach after all these years, but now it's, now he's, he's out there saying that he he will, he has not made an official decision yet. But Freddie will know sometime this week. He's going to let Freddie know first his decision, and then he's going to let the media know after that. What do you think about that, <laughs> Andre? Freddie Roach gets fired by, by Manny Pacquiao. Maybe. <laughs> what kind of monkey business is that? <laughs> uh, uh, what? <laughs> yeah. The only, I mean, you, uh, usually when you get fired by somebody, you have a, a meeting. Maybe you you know you, you get called for dinner, for lunch. You know, one on one. You know what? We've been together for what? Seventeen years, eighteen years. It's time to go ahead and and you know and move on. It was great. I appreciate it. Here, you know, here's a handshake. There's a watch. Maybe there's some severance pay. You know, have a great life. Don't burn no bridges. But <laughs> that's, that's a little crazy. different. A little that different. is super crazy. Lucas, what do you think about this? In this era of fake news, you know, what are you to really believe? Did he really fire him? Is he going to fire him? I mean, for me personally, I think probably Manny should have dropped him maybe a year or two, maybe even longer ago, because no disrespect to Freddie, I absolutely loved him as a fighter and as a trainer. But I think because of the nature of his disease, that his skills and capabilities as a trainer has waned, in my personal opinion. And that should be nothing personal. That should be something understood. But, right. um, I mean, there is so much fake news out there in boxing and anything for that matter, you know. First it's, first it's Gary Spike O'Sullivan, then it's, you know, Marta Rosian, you know, and who who fucking knows what's the truth anymore in boxing. You know? Right, right. I don't it's think really I've, I've seen I don't want to really comment on anything. You know? I don't think so, I've I mean, seen this many hurt people about somebody getting fired since Jim Comey got fired by Trump. <laughs> exactly. Oh, jeez. It's crazy, though. I mean, you know, he's probably got one fight, two fights left. If he wants to, you know, have Boo Boy as his trainer, oh, fucking well, who cares? Really? Is it that big of a deal? You know, I mean, no one's going to remember, you know, the the great success you had with Boo Boy. You know, they're going to remember everything with Freddie Roach, all the titles and everything. He's on on his last legs. People know that. He's fighting Matisse, a guy that looked, you know, horrible in his comeback. And looked like a shot fighter, was fighting a nondescript Thai guy, even though he was like, you know, crazy forty six and oh, whatever the hell he was. He was not qualified to be in the ring with Matisse. But Matisse was horrible that night. And I think he's gonna be horrible against, you know, Pacquiao. I think it's, it's oh, yeah. you know, Pacquiao would probably win the fight, but how much how much success is he gonna have? You know, he's definitely on his last leg. He's pushing forty years old. Does it matter if Freddie's in the corner or not? Hell no. Problem. No. Not not in this stage of the game, which is why no. I said he should have did it two, three years ago mm-hmm. when it actually mattered somewhat. But um, right. I don't think it would know, have mattered any stage in the game because, to be honest with you, like I said before, Manny Pacquiao was a champion way before he met Freddie Roach. Well, you yeah. know, it's like uh, it's kind of like Angelo Dundee being Ali's trainer. You know, did Angelo Dundee really have to teach Ali how to fucking fight or anything? No. 
He just kind of stood back and let him do his thing. Well, just like George right. Foreman when, when he was training George Foreman. George Foreman would just stand in between, you know, the posts and not even sit down. And they'd like be talking about, you know, what you, you know, what we're going to eat for dinner after the fight. I mean, you know, yeah. have small talk. You know, right. what you drinking, George? Right. You know, how many hamburgers you want? <laughs> you know. It's a great not painted. You know, you got to remember George Foreman. You know, you know how many hamburgers this guy ate in his career? How many times did he ever pop a damn steroid test? Uh, none. Mm-hmm. See, Canelo needed to get George Foreman's hamburger chef. You know, and it, um, if he would have had the guy cooking George Foreman's hamburgers in his heyday, this would never happened. Uh, well, exactly. the thing with American me, George would have got him the good beef. <laughs> Well, hell, George raised his own cows. That's hey, why. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You have to use the, the George Foreman grill. That's the only thing. You have to do that to eat his hamburgers. They have to be cooked well, with the grill. You know, getting electrified and all that shit, it had to have cooked out all the PEDs and everything out of them for sure. <laughs> That's crazy. It's crazy, crazy business. So, my man, Coach Rozier, how is Saddam looking in training? I know you got all these fights on the horizon. Tell me how you guys, every one of them, how, tell me how they're looking in the gym right now and if they're definitely ready for a war coming up soon. Well, Saddam is really looking good. He, um, he's he been turning it up. Uh, of course, uh, Curtis has been, uh, has been like our pit bull on Saddam, making sure he works the way he's supposed to. And that in itself is a comedy routine. <laughs> but it oh, works so well. Oh, my God. It's so funny. So funny. But it, 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 it works kind of so well. It's being like the, the, the size that he is. And I think, isn't Liam a lot taller than Curtis? Yeah, Liam is, Liam is a lot taller. Uh, but you know they all have a healthy fear of Curtis, and like you know what, oh, you don't yeah. want to really just be boxing Curtis in when you swan with him, and he's hammering you down. <laughs> just, I, I bet Curtis don't lay back. It don't matter if they're best friends or not. It don't matter if it's your family. He's gonna beat your ass. <laughs> oh you yeah, that's right. Back. Exactly, exactly. And that's that in itself is more comedy. But um, he's doing pretty. He's doing pretty good. I'm looking forward to. to uh, Cleaning up uh, Danny's fight, and then we go on to Saddam's fight, and then we're talking about Richard Kami's fight uh, because uh, they have to make an announcement um, by Thursday as to um, Robert Easter fighting Richard or going to purse bid. Oh, so, damn. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think Robert might uh, say the hell with this belt and pull a Riddick bow and throw in the trash? I think he might. I think he might. I know he doesn't want to fight Richard again. But um, it don't seem like he wants. It don't seem like he wants no, him, man. Just not at not all. Say anything Look, bad about what... Easter. Easter's a good fighter, but you know I, he don't want that work. It don't seem. No, and Richard Richard does not want to be denied a title, and um, I'm gonna. You know, he's a. A very, very uh, accepting student uh, of the information and technical prowess that I'm trying to bestow upon him. And uh, he's going to be a monster. He's going to be a monster. He looked good in his last fight, man. It gave him hell. And, you know, he kind of looked a little shook to me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. 
Without well, a he's doubt. been struggling his last couple of fights, you know. And, and yes, both, he has. Both fights that he had, you know, he could have lost those fights. And, and exactly. he's got a guy that he barely won again, you know, with Tommy. And I thought that he, I thought he could have lost that fight. You yeah, know, a lot I of think Tommy said that over there know, also. Tommy's got better, and I think that uh, Robert Eason knows this, and he knows he's going to have even a tougher fight on his hands. So you never know what's going to happen. Once you find out, Coach, I know you're going to let us know. I can't wait. Oh, you're going to be the first to know, Captain. As soon as they, listen, as soon as they give me the four one one, it's going down. You'll be the there first. There you to go, know. man. Fire pit has to happen. Yeah, we have to make it happen here, man. <laughs> Only way. You know how we do up, what we do. Straight honesty. That's right. In That's well, right. I'm gonna tell you what. It's going right. Big fight in Brooklyn. I know you're going to be there, Coach. Saturday night, this coming Saturday, Adrian Broner, Jesse Vargas, Gervonta Davis, Jesus K.R., Jermaine Charlo, our boy, <laughs> versus Hugo. Mm-hmm. I will be there, and I will be ready come Monday after that Saturday with the 4-1 diggity one. You ought to go there with a, a Hugo Centeno shirt on. <laughs> you and Danny ought to wear them. <laughs> I know, right? Game. Tell me about it. <laughs> Tell me about it. Oh well, you know what? We'll be in the house, and uh, I have actually I have a young man that I'm advising. His name is George Arias. He's a heavyweight, and uh, okay. we're fighting on the undercard. So I'm, I'm going to be in the house, and I'm going to be watching intently on those um, main event bouts to see what goes there, on. Yeah, and- Actually, you know, some decent fighters and good fighters on that undercard. You got Rushy Warren, you got Heather Hardy, who everybody loves, especially here on ATG Radio. That's Former right. Who doesn't? She's gonna be. She's gonna be fighting. You know, you got uh, you know, Fabi Maidania, who's uh, Marcus Maidania's, uh, I think, cousin, I believe, or nephew, or something. Mm-hmm. He's, he's a relative. Um, he's gonna right. be on the card. He's he, he's gun went up to fourteen and zero already. He's only been fighting a couple of years. He's on a, a fast mm. track right now. You got Centeno's uh, previous victim, Emmanuel Alim. You know he's fighting his comeback since the knockout loss. And mm-hmm. then you got you know Charlo versus Centeno. Man, I'm gonna tell you, it's a different style for Charlo. I think Charlo's gonna win that fight. I think it could be it could be a brutal display. Um, but Centeno can crack if Charlo loses himself open. You never know what's going to happen. But I'm going to have to pick Charlo in that fight. Gervonta uh, Davis too. against uh, Kr. Man, I'll tell you what, Kr is tough as man. He's just like Freddie, you know, or like uh, um, Leonard Merchant used to say back in the day. You know about like on or uh, about a Mickey Ward. He's tough as old boot. You know, he's, oh, he yeah. said that that guy's tough as old boot. With this guy right here, Jesus Kr is tough as old boot. This guy can fight. He's going to bring it. You know, he's a former champion. You know, he's he's moving up against uh, Davis, but I'll tell you what, I would not be surprised. I'm not saying he's going to beat Davis, but it's going to be very fun. It's going to be a fun fight as long as it lasts. It might not last long, fight. but it's going to be fun. Right. I agree. Don't I sleep agree. on Hayes' Cuellar uh, because this guy is tougher than hell. And last but not least. And last Broner. but not least. Mark. <laughs> Adrian, the problem, bro. And apparently he's not the problem anymore. He says that he's got a new trainer now that should have happened years ago, and he's got his life straight, but he still has 20 cases against him holding in court right now. So, you know, mm-hmm. he, he, he's still got some cases out there, but, uh, you know, he's changed. He, he's a reformed guy. You know, mm-hmm. next 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 fight is going to you know, find God and be a preacher and everything, you know. <laughs> he, he, I'm just being, I'm just waiting, you know. Brother Broner. <laughs> you wait 
<laughs> I done found God. Oh, shucks. <laughs> I mean, every fight this guy fights, he's changed. He's changed his life. But he, every every fight is ironic, though. Every fight that he fights, he has a court case hanging over him, but he's changed. And then, like, you know, the court case gets dropped or dismissed or, you know, he gets probation, and then he gets another fight, and he's changed again. So he's done change, like, four or five times. So, you know, let's see how the change is. Because every time he changed, uh, he still is the same broner in the ring. Right. Right. Uh, there's no changes and, there. And he's gonna have to he's gonna have to bring something entirely different to this particular dance because uh Jesse Vargas is a tenacious, uh, high spirited, um energetic fighter in the ring. And he's coming to win the fight. Oh yeah. Uh, he he doesn't have that I'm I'm the opponent mentality. He's thinking about bigger and better things. So this is going to be a really, really tough fight for Adrian. You're so I'm hoping that he's prepared correctly and he's ready for it. You're familiar with Jesse Vargas, you know. Your your uh, right. middleweight champion only lost on his career, you know. And that's and, right. And look at what Saddam did to Miguel Cotto. So you know, it tells exactly. you the age of fighter that Jesse Vargas is. But you know, I think that if Broner is on top of everything. I think he he could win this fight, but you never know. I mean, Jesse Vargas can punch a lot of harder than people give him credit for. You know, his record mm. doesn't show that punching power, but when he needs right. it, he lands it. And uh, if he lands against Broner, that's the whole thing, landing. But if he does do it, he could hurt Broner, and uh, we'll see what happens. But I, mean, I, I like Broner in this fight, but I think it's going to be a very, very close fight, and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we'll see what happens. But Jesse's a bigger guy. Yeah, yeah, he definitely is. So, yeah, it's, it's like be, it's, oh, go ahead. Who's who? Who are you talking about again? <laughs> My hey, man, I gotta Rufus. Dis, hey, I got to diss you right back, Michael Doss, after snoring after my interview. So, oh, I'm playing Rufus. It was <laughs> that was a good one, Rufus. That was hey, a good one. Even though they got gloves on, Adrian Broner, Jesse Vargas. Who you like in that fight? I, I really <laughs> hope Adrian Broner has matured a bit as a man, you know, over the years since when he first came in. He was such a smart ass and shit. But uh, I'll go with him. I'll go with mm-hmm. him. Coach, what do you think about Charlo and uh, Santana, Rufus? <sighs> I'll probably go with Charlo. Yeah. Oh, okay. And last well, but not least, yeah, Gervonta Davis, Jesus Cuellar. I'd probably go Davis. Okay. All right. Who do you like, do you like um, in the main event? Adrian Broner, Jesse Vargas. Who's your pick? Um, you know, um, it's a tough match. It's, it's a tough match. We don't know the particulars and the variants that are coming into play now because Adrian has a new trainer. But he has a trainer that has worked with him before. So I can't actually say emphatically that Kevin's a new trainer to him because they have worked together before. He's been in his corner. He's um, been there at training with them. So the aspect of having a new trainer might be Overemphasized in, at this um, at this point with this particular change in trainers, but 
I know that Adrian has to bring his A game. He cannot lose this fight because if he loses this fight, it pretty much is over for him. Oh, yeah. He will be relegated to gatekeeper status, and um, that's really the bottom line. And Jesse is coming to win. So it makes it a very intriguing um, matchup, and I can't wait to see when the two of them get it on. Well, Jesse has. This is a, you know, this is one lose. I mean, this is just life or death for Jesse Vargas. If he loses to Adrian Broner, you know, he's going to be more like a journeyman. You know, I mean, even though he's only got three losses, you know, he, he might be he might turn into a stepping stone in this fight. If Adrian right. Broner loses, I mean, his career's over. But you know what? With Broner, I don't think he really thinks that way. He thinks he thinks, uh, you know, this this is a lose lose for Broner, in my opinion, because if he loses, definitely he's done. I mean, you know, he might get he still might get a fight because he's Broner, and that's probably what would happen. But, you know, if he looks bad or, you know, if he doesn't knock out Jesse Vargas, you know, he, he did what he's you – know, he, he, he didn't do what he was supposed to do. He needs to be spectacular. He needs to score a knockout or he needs to have scored a very de- decisive victory over Vargas. And if he doesn't do that, you can consider that a loss too, in my opinion. And I think that Kevin Cunningham is a window dressing. That's all it is. You know, he has worked you know with him before, but, you know, it, part of the team or what have you – um, you know the fact that he's a former cop. You know, I think that's they're saying, oh, well, he's he's going to be hard on on Broner. That's bullshit. I'm sorry, but you know, there's been other things. You know, like with Devin Alexander. Devin, I'm going to be straight with you. This is how I feel. Devin Alexander is a very good fighter. You know, he had a problem with prescription pain medicine. Okay, where was your trainer when that happened? Mm. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Right. It just you know if he hit it from him, he hit it from him. But how hard is is this guy on his fighters? I don't think he's going to be that. I think it ain't going to be no different, in my opinion. The only difference that you might see is he might not be brushing Adrian's hair after the fight. Mm. But that's going to be about it. And right. probably he may even do it. We'll see. I mean, I like Kevin Cunningham, but I'm not saying that you know I I can't say oh he's he's the truth. He's going to you know shape him up. He's going to straighten him out. Adrian Broner thinks that he is, you know, the best thing ever. He, his confidence is high. You know, he, he's very, very cocky. There's not a trainer out there right now that's going to straighten him out because he won't listen to anybody. And I don't see that changing. That's I, be, I, it's just the way his mentality is, Coach. Yeah, I agree with you. I think I you kicked this you. guy out there a week in your gym. Uh, see, I don't. I don't settle for the for the monkey business. So it, it either you would you would rock and roll or or you wouldn't. And honestly, from that area, I honestly think the best trainer for Adrian would have been uh, Barry Hunter, because yeah. he is so no nonsense. It's not even funny. I don't even I think know what Hunter, to say. Barry Hunter or Virgil Hunter, in my opinion. It, yeah, but right, I don't think Virgil no would have took a, He wouldn't have put up with no. this shit either. No, no, not at all. Not one bit. And, and Barry Hunter, in my opinion, you know, on the East Coast, next to you is probably, you know, my my probably one of my best trainers, in my opinion. Barry Hunter is a phenomenal trainer, and that would have been a phenomenal pick for Broner. Right. But, but we'll see what happens. I mean, I don't think it's going to be any different. I could be surprised. I hope I am because, I mean, Broner has so much to offer in this game and so much talent. It's just really disappointing to see a guy like him throw it away. Uh, let's see what happens. I mean, I, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt, 
but I just don't think. I mean, I've been upset so many times with Broner. I've been fooled so many times. I don't think it's going to be any different this time around, but we'll see. Yeah, I'm, I, I can't wait. That's I really can't. I can't wait till Saturday for this one, man. Tell me, <laughs> Captain. It's, it's going to be, I mean, you know, we joke and jest about other things with, with the um, with the Charlos and everything else, but um, that Adrian Broner Jesse uh, Vargas fight is something that I'm looking forward to. I'm actually looking forward to uh, Charlo and, and Santana also, but I think that Santano it just doesn't have enough to turn up the the fire in that bout and come away victorious. Yeah. So he he and showed me signs when he fought uh, Salak. He showed me signs of of intrepidness and and almost uh, sort of giving up before he had a chance to actually put his foot down. And I didn't like that part. You know, when I see a guy give up in a fight, it really, really angers me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I see a lot of that in Centeno also. I think he had a fight, you know, there was a fight earlier in his career against Julian J. Rock Williams, and it was the same way. You know, he, uh, uh, luckily for him, it was a no contest. I think uh, right. it was a headbutt and, you know, accidental butt you know, early in the fight. They stopped it uh, before four rounds or at the fourth round. But, you know, J-Rock was winning that fight handily, and, uh, you know, Centeno looked like a fish out of water. He didn't know what to do. He was confused. And I think that, uh, you know, he showed that same mentality against Selecki in, in spurts, and I think he'll show the same thing against Charles Saturday night. Right, I agree. We on the but same page. Big time my pick is Javante Davis versus Hayes uh, Cuellar because, man, I'm telling you, that can be explosive, and Cuellar can punch. He might be a smaller guy, but it wouldn't shock me if he blows up. And he's about, you know, he, he's he's not as big, but he, he's up there with Javante Davis. I think he's going to be a back and forth war. And I'm picking Davis, but I would not be shocked if Cuellar ends up catching him. We'll see how how hard. Javante Davis has been training. There's still a lot of drama surrounding him and Floyd Mayweather. Uh, there's just a lot of questions that need to be answered. And I'm telling you what, the guy, a guy like Cuellar can definitely answer those questions. Uh, that, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, it's a great card. Well, I really know you had a rough, you know, rough couple weeks in the gym, Coach, and, man, we appreciate you stopping by. And, uh, you know, always, uh, you know, welcome to Fire Pit. Hopefully we'll see you for, uh, Wednesday night. Um, but I know you got a lot on oh, your yeah. plate right now. I just appreciate any oh, time yeah. you can give us right now because I know you're you're dog tired right now. I can tell in your voice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm, I'm a little peaked. Uh, we we got to work in, and it gets a little bit rough. But you know what? It, it it's invigorating in the morning. So God bless it, and I appreciate the fact that I'm in a position to actually work the way that I am and and to bring these guys. To the to the point where they are and and keep the fire burning as they grow and become very special athletes. There you go, man. Well, you have a good night, Coach Rufus. Have a great night, my man. Anything you want to say before we end this? No, I'm just thankful for everybody uh, tuning in to listen tonight. Jesus bless you all. All right. Mm. Hey. No better words. No have worse. a great night. Jesus bless you, and uh, we'll see you Wednesday. Sounds like a plan. All right, Coach. Rufus, take care, buddy. Good night. Thank you.